Again, I'll be reading from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 through 18. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything we give, thanks, for this is the will of God, Christ Jesus, for you. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We appreciate you coming out, making the effort to come and show God how important he is uh, to you. Most of us, at least I hadn't, until getting ready for this lesson, had heard the word ideogram. What an ideogram is, it's a picture, it's a picture that represents a concept or another word. For instance, we know that this is a picture that communicates that something isn't allowed. Something isn't allowed. And so when we see something in the circle, we see that there is no smoking in the building. We want you to remember that. No smoking in the building. So we we see that there's no smoking. Here's one of the most familiar ideograms in the world. This means, well, it's, it's one of the most. This means happiness. It's not an emoji. It just represents happiness. But then here is the one that we want to talk about this morning. This, ador this adorns Valentine's Day cards for years and years it has. And I imagine for years and years it will. It universally represents the concept of love. The concept of love. And then when we put letters in front and, and it, put that heart between I and you, we hear in our minds, I hope, I love you. That's an ideogram. Now, the heart is only a picture. That, and, and when you put it in a love letter or in a text or whatever you're going to put that heart in to, to signify that you care about the person who you're sending it to, it's just a feeble attempt at communicating your love for someone or something. It's feeble. It's just a picture. But I want to talk to you about a love letter. I want to talk to you about God's, not a love letter, I want to talk to you about God's way of communicating his genuine love for us. How, how embracing this message of love will change our hearts, our souls, our futures, our lives. I want to talk to you about the heart of Christianity. Christianity, Christianity is all about Taking God's message to heart. And that message is that he, that he loves us enough to want to do something to get us to heaven. And that something that he did for us is give his son to us. It, his son is our sacrifice for our sins and that's the message that God wants us to understand. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. How does he do that? How does he send the message of his love toward us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if that doesn't communicate God's love, I cannot. There's nothing else that would. 
Romans 5, 5 tells us that the love of God has been poured out, poured out in our hearts. We have the love of God in our hearts when we embrace Christianity. So when a person decides to become a Christian, when they're baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, that person will experience incredible blessings by taking Christ's message, God's message to heart. By putting their hearts into Christianity, they will experience amazing, amazing blessings. And so this morning, for a few moments, I want to talk about some of the aspects of Christianity a person can enjoy when they give their hearts over to Christ. So first, we're going to, we're going to talk about what Christianity is. Well, we start off by saying it's heartwarming. It's heartwarming. Go if you would. Turn, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 16, 15 and 16 in just a few seconds. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Over the holidays this last year, had the opportunity to spend time with our children, all four children. But also, we had two we had a new son-in-law, we had a new daughter-in-law, and we all came together for a few days. And, and so many times throughout the, the time that we were together, I, I would watch them and see them laughing, interacting, exchanging presents, telling each other the background of each present. And it was a joyful time, and it was heartwarming. It was so heartwarming. Because when, when families come together, families who love each other, is heartwarming. And in the same sense, when brothers and sisters come together, come together, yes, in person, when we come together for services, and we see, we see the end. And I love that Steve Smerick puts, if you're watching on YouTube, you've seen, if you've been watching before it started, you get to see people come in and meander in and, and interact with each other, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We come together and we see the interaction. We see, see brothers and sisters uh, loving each other. We hear the laughter. We sing together. And man, it's, it's heartwarming. It is heartwarming. It's heartwarming to see a family of believers of the church coming together. But it's also heartwarming to see the church coming together, a family of believers, even outside of services. In various ways. When rough times hit, our brothers and sisters, brothers, the church comes together. The family comes together. I don't know if you knew this, but we had a winter storm not long ago. We uh, had a few people who lost power, lost, lost water. Their houses got really cold. And they weren't able to cook and keep warm. But the family came together. And it was very heartwarming. Calls were made and people were checked on. Over and over. We're checking on each other. Texts 
were exchanged. I don't know if, if a lot of people know, but so many texts were exchanged by people trying to figure out who needed what in order to be comfortable. Calls were made. Texts were sent. Generators were distributed to many people. Food was delivered to many people because the family was coming together. People who went over to other Christians' houses, whole families were going over to to people's houses. The the ones who needed immediate help were getting the water and, and getting messes cleaned up. Entire families, without water, without power, were taken in by other brothers and sisters who had power and water. And sometimes, sometimes we know of several families who came together under one roof, enjoying warmth and enjoying the heartwarming experience of being a family. The church came together in a huge way and it's very heartwarming. Let's read together Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. There's a prayer going on, and the prayer is such that uh, that the Christians in in Ephesus will continue to speak the truth in love, verse 15, may grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself the church building up of the church of itself in love in love we grow when we come together and it's heartwarming go over if you would to first peter 4 8 through 10 first peter 4 8 through 10 It is heartwarming to see Christians love each other, to serve each other, to meet each other's needs. And we read in 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10, And above all things have fervent, that means uh, intense love for one another. Fervent, have this love for one another. And it says love will cover a multitude of sins. And then 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. That's good. As each one has received a gift, minister it or serve it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Christians come together and when you give your heart to Christ, when you give your soul to Christ, when you take God's message of love to heart, you will experience the heartwarming uh, love that Christianity is. Heartwarming. The next thing... It's heart healthy. Philippians 4.8. Oh man, if, if anyone's ever had to change their diet to keep their cholesterol down. If anyone, no, if anyone's ever been told to change your diet to keep your cholesterol. Not that, that you have. Hopefully you have tried that. And, and you hear this phrase, you, you're going to need to start eating heart healthy. What does that mean? Well, you need to start eating foods that don't raise cholesterol or blood pressure. And and that's easier said than done. Because one of the problems is that there there is a lot more uh, difficult to find heart-healthy foods in a supermarket because the supermarket is organized in such that the junk food is prominent. 
It's hard to find those foods. It is more expensive to eat heart healthy than unhealthy food. An average family, average family of four trying to eat healthy food, if they, compared to just eating the food that they like, that they're taking off the shelves, uh, uh, an average family of four, it will cost them $2,200 more a year to eat healthy. Because the junk food is, is more readily available uh, in an average store. It takes, and also, it takes a lot of knowledge to know what's good for you, to be able to tell the difference between healthy and unhealthy foods. A lot of foods on the label claim to be healthy, but if you read the labels, they're actually not. And so if you're trying to eat heart healthy, then you've got to learn to identify what is healthy and what isn't. As far as our spiritual diet is concerned, same thing, same idea. An unhealthy consumption of Unhealthy information, unhealthy music, unhealthy movies, unhealthy information that just, it doesn't make you grow, it takes you down. Unhealthy interaction with friends, unhealthy social media uh, that you view, it can damage a person's heart spiritually. It certainly will if you continue to ingest it. And the problem is that it's easier to find the junk food for the, hearty, for the heart and mind in the world than the spiritually healthy food. It's because it's just prevalent, the, the unhealthy food that we put in our minds. It's prevalent. The world is organized in such a way that those things, those unhealthy things are prominent. That's, that's the kind of world we live in. And so if we're going to eat if we're going to eat heart-healthy information, consume that, I guess you might say, we're going to need to learn to identify. We're, it's going to take effort to learn how to tell the difference between healthy and unhealthy information. For the Christian who's given their heart completely to Christ, a healthy diet of information won't be hard to find. I believe you know where I'm going with this. We have instruction in God's Word that will help us locate Information that's going to allow us to live spiritually healthy lives. We do. Philippians, let, let, let's read Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, look for those and think about them. Whatever things are noble, look for those and think about them. Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, look and find those and think about them. Whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, look for those, find them. And the end of verse 8, meditate on these things. Let them roll around in your mind and think about them, consume them and let them change your life. If you would, look at 1 Peter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. you got to purge yourself of the junk food. you got to ingest in your life the right, the right food. And we get an idea of what that is in 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, laying aside, we're purging the junk food, all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, evil, and all evil speaking... 
Get rid of that. Purge that out of your life. That's junk. That is junk. You don't need that in your life. It'll, it'll tear you down. It'll make you unhealthy. But he says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. A wonderful, wonderful meal to be had by cons- consuming, ingesting the word of God. So for the Christian who's striving to, be, to live a Christ-like life with all their heart, they will be consuming a heart-healthy diet of spiritually beneficial information. That's the way it works. It's the way it has to work. And that diet is readily available to us. It's here, available, and in our faces if we just open our eyes and look. It's heartwarming. It's heart-healthy. It's heartening. We're going to read in just a few moments, a few seconds from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, if you, want to, if you want to turn there. I think the opposite. If you have the word heartening, we don't use that often, but we do use the word disheartening. I seem to use that lately a lot when I'm disappointed. Not that I'm disappointed lately a lot, but when I am, I will say out loud, well, that's disheartening. The opposite of that is heartening. But I believe and I think that most of us feel disheartened, absolutely disheartened at different times. Maybe you feel disheartened frequently on a regular basis because the truth of the matter is things happen that are discouraging, that are disheartening. And that's true of everyone in the world. And we have this saying, oh, I'm just waiting to see light at the end of the tunnel. We all have to go through tunnels that seem to have no light at the end of them. However, and we're going to be going through a multitude of tunnels at any given time, if you think about that. We don't just have one problem at a time, do we? We have have many problems at a time come up. And there might be something that you're going through spiritually uh, or just some problems that you have in life and, and something from that will branch off in another direction. You've got to go down that tunnel as well. For someone who's living without Christ, for someone who is living without Christ, those dark tunnels have no light at the end of them. And at any given time, we're going to go through those tunnels and a Christian, someone without Christ is going to go through those alone. But, however, and this is a good news for a Christian who has given their heart to Christ, they have Gone through those tunnels and the opposite of truth. There is light at the end of tunnels. But not only that, but there are Christians at the... We are a family of lights. And so not only do we see lights at the end of those tunnels that we go through, we have lights, those Christian brothers and sisters who will come into the tunnel, get us, and guide us through the darkness. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's very heartening. They will encourage us out of those tunnels. And we need to be doing that for each other. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. I want you to notice something about this. I'm not going to land on and focus on what's in between these verses. It's very important. But I want to read 24 and 25 of Hebrews 10. And let us consider how to stir one another up to good works. 
Here's what we usually focus when we read this this, uh, text. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But let's look at at the beginning of that little section and the end of it. Stir one, another up, uh, stir one another to love and good works. That's encouraging. How will you encourage each other to, 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 uh, to do good things with each other? You encourage. And then you want people to come to services. You want people to come back to the body of Christ. You want people to get together with us on a regular basis. 25, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day. Uh, we, we, don't want, we don't need to be getting on to someone. We need to encourage them to come back and to be with us. And that is a heartening way to do it. We usually focus on the beginning of that. We need to encourage Christian brothers. This is what we do. We make life heartening as Christians. When they go through disheartening times, we need to be there. When we, need, when we go through disheartening times, y'all need to be there for each other. And we need to be there for each other. And we will gently encourage each other to get back to the family. Gently encourage each other to get through those dark tunnels. So that's heartening. And finally, heartfelt. Heartfelt. When people encounter Christ in the scriptures, lives are changed. When people encounter Christ now, lives are drastically changed. When someone gives their heart to Christ, they are transformed. Their hearts are made tender. When someone puts Christ on in baptism, they will experience their hearts, their lives, their minds, their surroundings, their family relationships, their friendships. They, those will all change because Christianity is heartfelt and heart-changing. We see that happening in, with Peter's heart. He, he went from being fearful to being fearless. In Luke 22, we find Peter... Jesus has been arrested. He's taken to the house of the high priest. And in the courtyard, there are people uh, mingling. And Peter is identified as someone who's with Christ. And, and, and they say, you were with him. And he says, no, no, no. That wasn't me. He was fearful of being found out. And again, it happens. And he gets a little more adamant. No, no, that's not me. But you were with him. I am sure, confidently, uh, she says. And then again, no, because he was fearful. He was fearful. In Luke, he acts on fear. But then we find him in Acts chapter 2, standing before thousands of people, rather than denying Christ in front of a few people, he, he proclaims Christ in front of thousands and thousands. Acts chapter 2, he stands before, and not just preaches. Now, we call this the first sermon, uh, Peter's first sermon. is when the church began. He's not just preaching. He's laying it on. He's letting them have it. He just tells several thousand people fearlessly. He tells the audience, y'all were responsible for Christ's death. He goes from fearful to fearless. And that would, that would cause a preacher to fear if he were to stand up and point fingers. You, you, you caused Christ's death. 
Paul went from a persecutor of Christ to a proclaimer of Christ. At the beginning of Acts 9, we find him viciously rounding up Christians. He has murder on his mind. All he wants to do is eradicate the land of Christianity. He gets permission to do that. He's got some power. He's got some pull. And he gets letters of approval. And Christians see him and they understand he's coming for us. And he wants to kill us. He's persecuting Christ. And in fact, Jesus appears to him in Acts chapter 9. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then, Peter's, then Paul's life is drastically changed. He encounters Christ and he, we find Paul giving his life, his life to preaching the good news wherever he traveled. And then we find right after his baptism in Acts chapter 9 verse 20, we read immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. He went from a persecutor of Christ to a proclaimer of Christ. Lives are changed. It, Christianity is heartfelt when you do it right, when you put your heart into it, and when you take it to heart. Christianity, when experienced by someone who's tri truly given their heart, they will experience something that is all those things. Heartwarming, heart healthy, heartening, and heartfelt. Getting ready for the lesson, I was looking at the, and I didn't use it obviously, but I was looking at the history of the heart used in Valentine's Day's card and stuff. But in doing so, I found something interesting to me that in the late 1800s and early 1900s, they printed up these cards that people bought and sent it to people they didn't like. They were, they were sarcastic. They were offensive to the person who received them. It might be a lady who, who is being pestered by a man who wants to court her. And she will send a card saying, you're a snake. Or, but it's usually in poetry. Very interesting. They're called vinegar valentines. Vinegar valentines. <laughs> They're not fun to get. I can't imagine wanting to get something like that. It's a sour message. It's just un, undesirable to hear. I imagine the people who received these vinegar valentines, they were hurt, humiliated, discouraged. But people found a great joy in seeing them and, and sending them. Satan has messages for us. They're not messages that are sweet. They're not messages that are love, loving. Satan's messages to us, they're lies, and they might look good, but they're sour. They're poisonous, and they're spiritually deadly. You contrast that with God's message of love. God sent Christ to us to let us know that while we were sinners, God showed us his love by sending Christ to us. That's God's message of love. And it is out of pure love for his people, for his children, for the world, that he did this. 
that he wanted to experience a life, incredible life of being Christians. I imagine that if you're visiting with us and you've never, you've never sat down and studied the Bible, I imagine hopefully that you're sitting there hoping that someone would ask you. And I want to invite you to think like this. I want to study the Bible. I'm going to go ask someone to study the Bible with me. We will be excited about that. It'll warm our hearts. It'll be exciting. God's love, his message to us is one that lets us know, I want you in heaven with me. If you're at the point where you understand what you need to do in order to become a Christian, do it. Your life will be drastically changed. Your heart will be changed. And if you are a Christian who has not been living like a wholehearted Christian, a Christian who has given their hearts over to God and have taken the message of God to heart, if you're not living like that, do something about it. You're living wrong. And so we offer the invitation letting you know that we would love to pray with you, meet any need that you have spiritually, if it's possible, if you let us know about those now as we stand and as we sing.